Hey everyone, welcome to That You May Know Him, a podcast where we are committed to proclaiming biblical truth that helps you know Christ better than ever before. What's up, guys? This is Blake, host of the That You May Know Him podcast, and welcome back to Two for Ten, the show where we study the Bible one book at a time, one verse at a time. Today, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, where we encounter one of the most important names of God used anywhere in the Bible, and one that's incredibly significant in the book of Revelation. Also, the seven spirits that are before the throne of God What on earth could that possibly mean? It's all coming up today on 2 for 10. Let's get it going. Hey guys, real quick before we get started, if you're watching us on YouTube and you're enjoying our content, go ahead and subscribe to our channel by clicking on that bell just to the bottom right of this screen. Also, if you're watching on YouTube and you don't know that this show is part of a podcast, if you're not listening to our podcast, You're missing out. Not all of our content is on YouTube right now. A lot of it is still just in audio form. Head to our website, thatyoumayknowhim.com. Click on the listen button at the top of the page. That'll take you directly to our podcast player page. And there you'll find links to our show in every major podcasting app, whichever one you like, we're on it. Apple, Google Pods, Spotify, iHeartRadio, we're on all of them. A lot of content that we put out is still only in audio format, so if you're not subscribed to our podcast, please consider doing so. Last thing before we get started. Many of you know I co-authored a book with my good friend, Dr. Richard Cox, and it came out last week. It's being published by Whip and Stock Publishers. It's called Secularism, the Church, and the Way Forward. If you're a Christian living in the West, living in America in particular, there's probably something in this book for you. It asks a lot of important questions about the future, about the state of the American church, and where it's going and where it might end up if things don't get back on track soon. Please check it out. That's available at whipfinstock.com, and it's also now on Amazon. Secularism, the Church, and the Way Forward. Let's get into the book of Revelation. Here we go. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 is the verse we're going to be looking at today. But I want to go ahead and read you verses 4 and 5 just so we get the flow, the context of what's being said. This is still the begin, the very beginning of Revelation. This is a greeting, but there's so much meaning in these words. Let's check it out. Chapter 1 verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. Look, last week we talked about how the book of Revelation is unique amongst any other book in the New Testament and in the whole Bible. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But the main reason we talked about last week was that this book is written by Jesus Christ himself. That's right. This book is authored by Jesus. 
It was written using the pen of the Apostle John, but he received a vision from the Lord himself. And most of the time when you read this book, Jesus Christ is the one who's speaking. It's an amazing thing, and it makes it incredibly unique. Now, the book of Revelation takes on the form of a letter, like many books in the New Testament. It's one of the main things that differentiates the Old and New Testaments. One of the main differences is that in the Old Testament, there's very few letters. The New Testament, a huge portion is made up of correspondence between people. The book of Revelation is no different. It takes on the form of a letter written to seven churches that are in Asia. And just so you know, when the Bible talks about Asia, it's never talking about the continent of Asia. It's talking about the Roman province of Asia that existed in the first century. So this is a letter written to seven churches in the Roman province of Asia. And within this letter, there are seven individual letters, each one addressed to one of the seven churches. Amazing, isn't it? Now, we haven't gotten there yet. We'll get there in chapter two. But for now, you need to know that this book is a letter written by John as he was receiving a revelation from Jesus Christ. So then if you were getting this letter and you were reading it, who would it be from? Is it from John? Is it from Jesus? Well, the answer is that John addresses himself and says, hey, I'm the one writing. But the letter is from Jesus. But it's not only from Jesus. It's also from God the Father and from the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by this? Let's unpack it. Well, Revelation 1.4 says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. First of all, I want you to know, grace and peace is a common greeting that you'll see in your New Testament. And it's a really unique thing. In the first century, Grace was a word that was often used in Roman society, and it meant something like good luck or the favor of the gods. It's the Greek word charis. Christians sort of hijacked this word, particularly the Apostle Paul, and started using it as a way of describing God's favor toward his people, his undeserved favor and his undeserved kindness. So Christians started using this common greeting that was popular in the Gentile world, but in their own way, and they combined it with a common Jewish greeting that has been used for that had been used for thousands of years up to this point. Peace, shalom, the peace and shalom of God. You'll see this combination all through your New Testament. Grace, God's undeserved kindness, and peace, his shalom. It's sort of an amazing thing because it combines these two cultures the Roman Gentile culture and the Jewish culture that were coming together in one body in the first century. But the letter is, after that, we see that the letter is from him who is and who was and who is to come. My friends, this is a direct reference to God the Father, to Yahweh. This is a reference to a passage all the way back in the very close to the beginning of your Bible. In Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to read you this passage, but I'll give you the background first. God appeared to a man named Moses, and he told that man to go back to Egypt where he came from and to help lead God's people out of slavery. When God told Moses this, he was a little nervous, he was a little timid, and he said to God, who shall I tell the people sent me? In other words, God, what's your name? And in that moment, 
the God who created heaven and earth, the God who is the God above all other gods, revealed his name to Moses. His name, as we pronounce it, is Yahweh. And it means, I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. Let me read you this passage real quick from Exodus 3. This is verses 14 and 15, by the way. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, Yahweh, I am who I am. And he said, Say to this people, the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. Now, it's an amazing thing when you realize that, as I said, Yahweh is our best shot at pronouncing this word, but really, the name Yahweh is unpronounceable. You can see this in Jewish culture because Jewish people, devout Jewish people, religious Jewish people, never pronounce God's name. If you ask them to pronounce his name, they will likely look at you a little weird and say, no, 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 you're not going to catch me. His name is holy. His name is sacred. And I, I remember hearing throughout my life that his name was unpronounceable. Yahweh is the best way we have of pronouncing it. It's our best guess, basically. But I remember when I was in Hebrew class, going through the first few weeks of taking biblical Hebrew, going through my flashcards, learning how to say these new letters and, and read backwards. And I'm just going through these words. And I come to this word and I can't pronounce it. And I'm trying to pronounce it. And I'm saying, Yahweh, Yahweh. But I couldn't pronounce it because it was a word with four syllables. And then I flipped the card over and I realized that the word was Yahweh, the Lord. And it all made sense. That's why people say you can't actually pronounce Yahweh because it is unpronounceable. It's four Hebrew consonants. We say Yahweh because that's the best guess we have. It's the closest we can get. But the bigger point than that is that this is the name of God, and it has a very, very special and magnificent meaning. It means, I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. I am the eternal one. I am the always. I am the one with no beginning and no end. I am the one who will always be. And in this passage, in Revelation 1-4, this name is sort of, coined is sort of referenced by saying the one who is and who was and who is to come. Why is this important to us and why is it especially significant to the book of Revelation? Because God is the one who knows the beginning from the end. God is the one who sees all of time, all of human history and all of time, all before him at once. We not only know how our existence, how the beginning started because God told us and revealed it to us in the book of Genesis. But we know how the story will end because of this book of Revelation. We will live forever with God. Those who belong to Jesus Christ will live for eternity in a new Jerusalem. We'll see that by the time we get to the end of the book. But this age, this current age that we live in, this age of human history, where time is very much a real and present thing, along with sin and death and all the other things that we deal with in this existence. All this will come to an end one day, and then eternity will begin. And there will be no more beginning and no more end. There will be no more death. We will live with the eternal one. 
This name is used several times of God in the book of Revelation and of Jesus, by the way. And it's important because he is the one who reveals to us how things will end, which is exactly what this book does. It gives us hope, knowing that we know where we're going and how things will turn out. Last thing about this verse, the seven spirits who are before his throne. This letter is written by John and it's from the one who is and who was and who is to come, God the Father, and the seven spirits who are before his throne. It's also from Jesus, but that's the verse we're going to study next episode. Verse five, the seven spirits, this phrase is interpreted mainly in two ways by scholars. Some think that this is a reference to the divine council or to the seven archangels that exist prominently in Judaism. We learn about these seven archangels from non-canonical books like the book of Enoch. I think that the actual interpretation of this is that it's a reference to Isaiah chapter 11, one of the most significant prophetic passages about Jesus Christ, where it talks about how the Spirit will be upon the Messiah, the Anointed One, and it's a sevenfold Spirit. There are seven attributes that belong to the Holy Spirit that was upon Jesus and that now is upon His church and indwells every person who belongs to him. This is from Isaiah chapter 11, verses one through three. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. There's seven attributes that are listed in Isaiah 11. This incredibly important prophecy about Messiah, about the branch that would come forth from the root of Jesse, the house of David. And there's seven attributes. It's the spirit of the Lord, first and foremost. It's the spirit that connects us to God. But also, it's the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. It's the spirit of counsel and might. It's the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And those who have that spirit can expect to grow in every one of these areas of their life. Their relationship with God, wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord. Those who are exercised by the spirit will definitely, definitely grow in these things throughout their life. But my friends, the point is that this, I believe, is a reference to the Holy Spirit, to the sevenfold spirit who imparts these incredible things to the church and to the people of God. This book is an amazing book. It's written by Jesus. It's a letter and it's sent not just from Jesus, but from God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing, amazing thing. It's from the one who is and who was and who is to come. It's the, from the one who knows the end from the beginning, our God, Yahweh, the Lord, the eternal one, the great I am. We can take great comfort when we read this book. It gives us hope because we know how things will happen because the eternal one, the great I am, has revealed them to us. My friends, that is all the time we have for today. I'll be back on Thursday for part four of two for 10, and we will study Revelation chapter one, verses five and six. Until then, stay blessed, live loved, and I'll talk to you next time on That You May Know.
The That You May Know Him podcast is produced by That You May Know Him Ministries, Durham, North Carolina. You can visit our website at thatyoumayknowhim.com. Oh, 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 oh,